When I graduated from seminary and was assigned my first church to serve, it was um, a rural church in western North Carolina, not quite in the mountains, but kind of in the foothills. Great church, small community, um, close-knit community, and just lots of loving people. It was an awesome place for me to start out in ministry. One of the first families that I met, um, the wife, um, husband and wife, uh, had been married a long time. He'd been retired for a few years. She had just retired, turned 65, looking forward to celebrating her golden years of retirement, all that good kind of stuff. They had two grown uh, children who lived in the area, were part of our church, uh, and one of them had a a grown son uh, who I went to high school with. He was a little bit younger than me, about my brother's age, a couple years behind me, but I knew who he was, so that kind of helped us connect early on, and so... Over the course of the next you know, few uh, days, months, I really enjoyed getting to know this family. Uh, and uh, one sad thing, though, about it was that the woman who had just retired, I, I don't know if, if she'd been working hard a whole life, if she'd just been worn out. Uh, but, you know, when she retired, instead of like, you know, going out and doing fun stuff like volunteering in the community, taking some travels or some journeys, you know, just having fun, you know, with all this freedom, the, the world's her oyster. But what she chose to do was just to do nothing. She just sat in her house, and she quickly began to decline. She, she chose really not to embrace this next phase of her life. And so, sadly, within two years, she had died. And uh, the other sad thing about that was that her husband and her two grown children who lived in the area, and obviously her husband lived with her, they, they began to decline in their health because she was a lot to take care of. She just, she wouldn't do anything for herself. And so she died and their health was wrecked. And it was just one of the saddest situations that I've ever seen. And, and she just gave up on life. And there was no major medical illness. There was no major trauma in her life. She just decided, I'm done with living. Now, I think that can serve kind of as a lesson for us, kind of a a, a warning maybe, that as we think about living life to the full, as Pastor Nancy said, as this series is focused on, as as our whole year in our church is going to be focused on these words from Jesus, I think that living life to the full is a choice that we make, that we must choose to live life to the full. We must choose to live life that God has given us, and, and we must take advantage of that. We, we can't be passive about that. We can't wait for that to happen to us. It's an important choice. And so today and the next couple of Sundays, and really for the rest of the year, we're going to be exploring what does that really look like? What does it mean to live life to the full? We, we began to look at that last week as we looked at John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus calls us to live life To the full, right? And so we're wrestling with that. What does that look like? What does that mean for us in our lives? And I talked a little bit about last week how some of us say that living life to the full was something that we did in the past. We wish we could go back to a certain era in our history, and and that's when we were really happy, but things have changed, and and our life's completely different, and and we're not happy now. And and others of us are looking forward to the time in the future where we're going to live life to the full. I'm going to start really living my life when I graduate, or when I'm out on my own, or when I get married, or when I I, I make my first million dollars. That's when I'm going to be living life to the full. And you know, it's great to look back to when we live life to the full. It's great to look forward to living life to the full, but I think that God calls us to choose to live life to the full now, right? We can't go back in time. We, we can't rush the future. We've got to figure out a way right now to live into this life to the full that God has promised us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and, and to give it to the full, right? So, so what does that look like? And 
And do we really need that? Now, in our own community here in South Park, this is a, a special place to live and to be. And you know, a lot of people in, in, our, in our area think about living life to the full. They come to South Park because they want to experience South Park. Right? South Park's an affluent place to live. It's a great place to work. Very successful businesses here. Lots of cool places to eat and shop and, and just to do life. We're, we're right in the heart of that. And so a lot of people in North Carolina, even in the Southeast, come to South Park to experience life to the full. And um, the church leadership and I have been studying some of the demographic information of people who live within a three-mile radius of our church, of this theater here. We're right in the heart of South Park. We're, we're right in the, in the epicenter of that. To find out who lives here, you know, what they're going through, how we might be able to reach them for God. And we're studying all this information that the U.S. Census has done and, and put together. And they spit out all these reports. And it's really helpful to understand, you know, who our neighbors are and, and how we might be able to serve them best. And, and, and some of the information, though, is kind of shocking. And it kind of helps me understand that when Jesus says life to the full, I think it means something than what our culture here in 21st century America, even in South Park, thinks life to the full is. Uh, some of these questions that were, were asked of people who lived in the three-mile radius around where we are right now were, were culminated and brought back together, and, and they put it in kind of a, a summary thing of how people in South Park think about their general well-being, right? And so people in South Park, how do they feel about their general well-being? And there were kind of like five categories uh, that the general well-being here in South Park is extremely high, somewhat high, moderate, low, or extremely low, right? So from the people who live here in this three-mile radius and the questions they ask, basically, how do you feel about your, your general sense of well-being? Which of those five do you think was the most popular? What do you think? We got extremely high, somewhat high, moderate, low, and extremely low. Somewhat high, right? It shocked me that people in three miles within here in South Park say that their general sense of well-being is low. Low, right? Now, that's not everybody. Some people, I'm sure, have a high or, or extremely high, but a majority of the people living in one of the places where I would think people would say, that's living life to the full, believe that this is a low sense of well-being. That caught my attention. And I hope it catches your attention. If we're supposed to be in the heart of South Park and to reach people for God, there are a lot of people who on the outside people think are living life to the full, but on the inside they don't think they're living life to the full. So what does it mean to choose to live life to the full from God's perspective? How can we begin to do that? That's what we're going to be exploring I think the best place to start is in the Bible with, with, uh, with Jesus. And so last week we were in John chapter 10. We're going to flip back to John chapter 3 today. John is a gospel, which means it's the good news of Jesus. It's the story of the life, death, uh, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. And John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So today we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to dive right in with verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, if you remember, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day in the first century of Israel. And uh, Jesus is always butting heads with the Pharisees. They don't see eye to eye. Jesus calls them out a lot of times on being hypocrites. And they don't think that's really cool. And, and a lot of Pharisees want to kill Jesus. They think he's a blasphemer, that he's talking about being the son of God. And no one can say that because that's clearly not true. And so there's this animosity. But, but there's, uh, there's a handful of the Pharisees that are actually good people. And one of them is this guy named Nicodemus, and, and he thinks Jesus is the real deal, and he wants to come and, and learn more from Jesus. And so verse 2 says that he came to Jesus at night, 
I think he came at night maybe because he didn't want his colleagues to know that he's talking to Jesus because they hate Jesus. They want to kill Jesus, but he thinks Jesus is the real deal. So he's come to, to talk to Jesus to learn more about the kingdom of God. And he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, right? For no one could perform the signs, the miracles that, he, that you were doing if God were not with him, right? So, so Nicodemus is a different kind of a Pharisee. He sees Jesus for who he is or who he could possibly be. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, which is what Nicodemus is looking for, unless they're born again. Now, if I'm Nicodemus and I'm risking myself coming to see Jesus, I want to hear more about the kingdom of God. I want some clear answers. But now Jesus has said something that's kind of weird. It's like, if you want to see the kingdom of God, right, the kingdom of heaven, then you must be born again, right? So Nicodemus rightly is confused by this. And so he's going to ask Jesus for some clarification. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, I personally have never given birth to any human being. Uh, that's probably good because I'm a big wimp and I probably wouldn't be able to pull that off. Now, I have witnessed my wife, who is Wonder Woman, she's a superhero, give birth to our two boys. I was right there for the process, and I have a whole new admiration for my wife for what she was able to do. And so that was impressive. And I'm guessing that she and any woman, any of you who've ever given birth, would not relish what Nicodemus said to, to give birth to your child again in the form of an adult, right? It's like, Nicodemus, dude, thanks for that revolting uh, picture that I now have in my brain, right? That, there, there's just something wrong with that. Jesus, how can this be? How can we be born again? How can a person go back into their mother's womb? Like, bleh, like, come on, what's going on here, right? So Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Jesus is talking about the water of baptism. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again, right? He's talking about more than just a physical rebirth. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth, a brand new start in our lives, okay? So now we're going we're gonna to jump ahead a few verses to verses 16 through 18. John 3, 16 is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, and we're going to read that together today. Maybe it's for the first time for you, so let's check this out. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? Life to the full now and life forever and into eternity. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus is talking about new life. He's talking about new birth. He's talking about a new start. He's saying, you've been living life, but you haven't began, begun to live life to the full until you're born again. Now, I want to follow up on Jesus' words in John's gospel uh, with a word from the Apostle Paul 
uh, who was a first century pastor. He started a lot of churches in the Mediterranean world, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And some of the letters that he wrote to the churches that he started became the, the New Testament. And so here he's writing a, a letter to the church in Rome where Christians lived in Rome, the capital of Italy, really the capital of the world back then. And he has some clarifying words that help us understand a little more what Jesus is talking about. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, right? You think you understand what life to the full is? You, you have no clue what life to the full is. But be transformed. Be transformed. That's our word of the day. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? If we want to live life to the full, it somehow has to do with us being born again, with getting a fresh start, with being transformed, that God meets us where we are and he does something for us, right? God takes us to the next level. So life to the full begins with the transformation. There must be some kind of a spiritual transformation that happens inside of us, right? And I know that sounds like pie in the sky kind of stuff. So let's break that down and let's think about what it means to be born again, what does it mean to, to have life to the full? It means that we have to be transformed, that the lives that we're living, they're okay, but they're not to the full. So what does it mean? What transformation must we undergo to be born again? Well, we got to start out with the problem, first of all. And the problem is this. First of all, the good news is we're created in God's image. And that's a good thing, a beautiful thing. You are a beautiful, handsome person, not just on the outside, but on the inside. We are like God. We can do things like God. We can make the world a better place. We can be co-creators with God. We can bring goodness into the world. We can, we can forgive people. We, we can bring beauty into the world, and that's awesome. We also have the freedom to choose. We can do what we want to do, and, and sometimes we choose well. We, we choose to follow what God would have us to do, and sometimes we choose poorly, and we choose to disobey God. The Bible uses the word sin for that. And so when we sin, we have consequences. We experience guilt. We experience shame. We're going to die one day physically, and we also experience separation from God and from people. We have broken relationships, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with each other because of our sin and wrongdoing, right? So we, we, on one hand, we're creating God's good image, but then we are, that image is kind of stained by this sin, and, and so uh, that's a lot of problem, right? So, so Jesus sees that. He's like, you know, I want, to, I want to fix that. So Jesus comes to the earth. He becomes a human being while still remaining God. He dies on a cross. When he dies on a cross, he takes our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, our hell, our separation, all on the cross with him. When he rises from the dead, he defeats that. And he gives us a way back to God. He gives us a way back to God to, to, to say, God, you know what? I'm tired of living a life without you. I want to live life to the full. I want to let go of this guilt. I want to let go of this shame. I want you to come into me, God. Come into me. Forgive me. Come live in my life, right? Right? When we do that, we can receive God. And the Bible uses the word justification. Right? To be justified means to be made right with God. Jesus and what he did on the cross in his resurrection gives us a way to be made right with God. Right? He, he brings us back to God. We become part of God's, right? And so it's the moment of decision where we say, God, I'm, I'm tired of living on my own. Please forgive me. Come and live in my life, right? It's a moment. It's a choice. Jesus does all the work, but we must choose to accept that. It's, it's the moment of justification, right? Jesus says that's when we're born again, right? We're spiritually born again. Uh, some people say that's when we're regenerated. Some people say that's when we're saved, right? We come to know Jesus, right? We, we used to be sinners. Now we're winners, 
right? Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The Bible uses the word saint, right? We used to be sinners, now we're saints. Even though we're not perfect, in God's eyes, we have been made right with God. We're cool with God, right? We have a brand new identity. This is an identity shift. Before we were without God, now we are on God's team. We are part of God's team, right? Have, have any of you ever heard of, see if I can get this right, Stefani, uh, Joanne, Angelino, uh, Germanata. You know, you know who that is? That's Lady Gaga, okay? Right? And so when she changed her name from those four long names that I'm not going to repeat again, right, she became a new person, right? She is a new entity. She, she's not who she was. She is someone new, right? When we, when we receive Jesus, we leave the old behind and we become born again and we begin to experience what life to the full can be with God because it becomes a spiritual transformation in our lives. We become justified. We become saved. We become born again. If you haven't yet received Jesus, right, this is the gift that's waiting on you and, and all you have to do is receive him, right? You turn away from, from life without him and invite him into your life and it will forever change the way that you know your life right and so that's a decision for some of us it was a dramatic decision that we can remember for others of us we we chose Christ a long time ago we can't maybe say the day or the time but we know that we chose Christ right it's a, it's a powerful thing now the next step comes we've been justified now the next thing the bible teaches us is sanctification and what that means is for the rest of our lives Right? Even though we're winners and we're saints and we have defeated sin with Christ in us, there's still some sin that clings to us individually, right? For some of us, that's rage. For some of us, that's jealousy. For some of us, that's, that's insecurity. For some of us, that's lust. For some of us, it's, a, it's an addiction, right? What is that sin that clings to you in your life that just doesn't seem to want to go away, right? So, so Jesus justifies us. Now the Holy Spirit, that part of God, comes in to be with us and for the rest of our lives sanctifies us, which means makes us more holy, right? Which means that the Holy Spirit tries to make us to be more like Jesus so that everything that we say and think and feel and do begins to be like Jesus. Our goal is to become more like Jesus, right? Because you think about role models, who do we emulate in our lives? We emulate celebrities and actors and actresses and athletes and musicians and politicians and business folks. And there are a lot of great folks that we look up to and emulate, but there's no one perfect person other than Jesus. And if we want to live life to the full, then we want to live like Jesus lived, right? And so the sanctification process helps us to become more like Jesus every day. Right? And so we move forward, and it's a powerful process. Now, let's think about this from a different perspective. Imagine, imagine that you are a great work of art. Right? You're this huge painting right, with a big old fancy expensive frame and you're this canvas and, and you are beautiful. Right? You're, you're better than anything Michelangelo could have painted right? because God has painted you and you are beautiful. And we're going to move the Mona Lisa out of the Louvre, you know. Uh, in the South, we might call that the Louvre because that's how it's spelled. But well, we're going to take the Mona Lisa out of the Louvre and we're going to hang your picture right there. Right? You're the center because God created you and you are awesome. You're creating God's image. We're going to take you out of the live. We're going to put you in God's house, in the kingdom of God, because you deserve to be there because you're creating God's image. It's good. It's beautiful. Right? Things are great. You're going to have life to the full. Right? 
But then this guy comes up and he's like, you know what, this is great and all, but you're missing out. There's a lot of stuff outside of God's kingdom. Why don't you come to my place and, and why don't you hang on my wall for a little while? You're like, okay, right? You sprout out some legs from the canvas. You kind of toddle over. You go to this new place. This guy puts you up on the wall pretty soon. You figure out it's the devil, right? It's the evil guy. He's the one that you, that you don't want to trust, but you've gone willingly to do this. And, and now you're hanging on his wall and you're kind of stuck there. And, and, and he doesn't think you're beautiful. He thinks you're the ugliest thing he's ever seen, right? Because you look like God. And so he can't stand that. So he's going he's gonna to mess you up. And what he does is he takes some old nasty paint. Think about your, your least favorite color. That's the one he picks out. And he takes it and he just throws it all over it and you're drenched in it, right? And so your beautiful image, this beautiful tapestry that God has created is now stained beyond recognition. And it's ugly and it's stinky and it's gross and you're sad about it. But then you do something that you never thought you would do. You reach out and you see there's some more of that nasty paint and you pour it on yourself. I'm just not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to, you know, do anything, right? And so we just, we make bad decision after bad decision. And so that beautiful image of God has become stained and we're stuck, right? And, and life is not happening to the full. And we're broken and we're hurt and, and, and we're guilty and we're ashamed. And, and you know what it feels like to feel like that. Worthless thrown away, ugly. No one wants to see you. But Jesus says, that's not my masterpiece that I created. That's not who I want you to be. And I need to buy that picture back. I need to buy that painting back. And so, so Jesus comes in and, and he pays a price to buy that painting back. And that price is his life because you're precious and, and, and you are supposed to be a saint and you're supposed to be in the image of God and beautiful. And, and this stain, right, we, we can't stand this stain. So Jesus comes to buy you back with his life. Now, here's the trick. He does all the work, but you have to agree to go with him. You've got to agree to go with him. It's like you're stuck on the wall with this big magnet, right? And the devil's not controlling the magnet. You're controlling the magnet. You're choosing to stay apart from God. But Jesus comes knocking, and he's bought you with his great price, but you still have to release the magnet. If you release that magnet and you turn from your ways without Christ, you invite him in, and he takes you, and he puts you back in the centerpiece of God's kingdom. You're there. You're with God. You are born again. You are saved. You are justified. You, you're back with God. You're a winner. You're a saint, even though you still have that stain on you. Because Jesus sees what you're made of. You're made of him, right? So now, for the rest of your life, right, on the earth, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in. Hey, Jesus, thanks for buying them back, right? I happen to be a master at restoring art, right? And so for the rest of the life, right, the Holy Spirit works with you and you guys together start scrubbing that old nasty paint off, the paint that the evil one put on you, the paint that you put on yourself and all those sins that cling to us, right? The lust and the anger and the rage and the insecurities and the fear and the jealousy and whatever it is that we're struggling with, the addictions, right? The Holy Spirit begins to scrape all that off and pretty soon, that beautiful canvas underneath, creating the image of God, starts to shine through. And, and then you start to live life to the full. It's not a broken life anymore. It's a life that's to the full, right? You've been born of the Spirit, right? You're starting to see the beauty that's inside of you. And it's a beautiful thing. And other people start to see that. And the more the paint comes off, the more they see the beauty in you, the more you begin to look like Jesus. Because you're created in His image, right? That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to be sanctified, right? That's what it means to be transformed. Right? So as we think about 
So what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? So what? How does this affect my life? What what are we supposed to take from this, right? The transformation stuff, it's great. And this, this is what I think God's telling us in the scripture today, right? Is come as you are, right? Come as you are and leave better. Right? Come as you are with all of the stains and all of the junk and all of the sin and all of the guilt and all of the stuff that, that weighs us down. Come as you are and leave better because the Holy Spirit is ready to scrub us clean and to help us stop living broken lives, to stop having broken relationships, to start living life to the full, to begin to be spiritually born again. Right? That's the good news of Jesus he, he meets us where we are, but he helps us become something more, right? Come as you are, leave better. Now, I want to be real clear in saying that we don't earn Jesus's love. We don't earn his forgiveness, right? These are gifts that God gives to us. In fact, Jesus will never love you more or less than he does right now. God will never love you any more or any less than right now. He's never going to love you any more or less than he did yesterday or he's going to tomorrow. God loves you because you are created in his image. You're a child of God and you're beautiful. He's never going to love you any more or any less, right? But he wants us to get better. He wants us to become more holy. He wants us to become more like Jesus because the more we become like Jesus, the better life we will live, right? So the secret of transformation is, right, to live life to the full Every step we take closer to being like Jesus, our lives become more full because Jesus is the best human. He's the best person. He's the perfect life. The more we become like Jesus, the more our life is lived to the full. And so that's super exciting. And as I think about transformation, right, becoming more like Jesus, of being transformed, of being born again, of being sanctified, I think a core value of South Park Church, of our congregation, is transformation. I think from 52 years ago to today, transformation is what we've been about, right? Spiritual transformation, transformation of our lives, transformation of marriages, transformation of families, right? I think we are all about transformation. And so if you're looking for life to the full and to grow in sanctification, to grow in God, I'm going to give you a few hints of how it has worked for us. One of these is something we do together, and and a couple of these are things that we can do on our own, right? The first way that we can be transformed, right, our core value, a core practice, a great starting point, is what we're doing right now. We worship God together. When we come together to study the Bible and to sing and to pray, great things happen. When we come together, we learn more about who Jesus is and what he has for us in life. And so it's important for you to keep coming, whether you're here or watching online or listening to our podcast, to be with a worshiping family, right? To be more like Jesus, we have to know who Jesus is. And a great way to know who Jesus is is to come and worship him. And then we need to follow up from that, right? I'm glad you're here to listen to me and to think through this, but but this is not enough, Right? Throughout the week, we need to, on an individual basis, right? some of our, our transformational practices are to dive into the Bible ourselves and to pray to God ourselves. Right? To pray to God means to talk and to listen to God. To, to study the Bible is something that we have to commit to. Right? If you want to have a better marriage, you need to invest in your spouse. If you want to be a better parent, you need to invest in your children. If you want to be a better grandparent, you got to invest into your grandchildren. If you want to be more like Jesus, you got to invest in Jesus. Right? And a way to do that is to worship, to dig into the Bible, and to pray. 
well, Kyle, I'd love to do that, but I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to pray, right? That's why we have small groups. We can help you do that. That's why they make study Bibles. They can help you do that. We have books about prayer and, and, and reading scripture. There's online tutorials in the world. I mean, there's so much we can help you do, but, but you have to choose. We have to choose to commit to be transformed by God through worship and through scripture and through talking and listening to God through prayer, right? And I think about that. I think about God as we're in here today, right? When we leave, right, we, we came as we are. I hope we leave better. I hope we leave more like you, right? And I would, I would encourage you in, in your life to start thinking about, Lord, how can I leave this meeting better? How can I leave this classroom better? How can I leave this ball field better? Right? How can I leave my cul-de-sac better? Like, God, I need you in me to help me be better. Last week, I challenged all of us every day to, to write down on a scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 being high, how did I live life to the full? Was it a 10 life to the full day? Or was it a one life to the full day? And I ask us to do two questions, right? right? The first question is, where did I resist Jesus today? And the second question is, where did I work with Jesus today? I think the more that we work with Jesus and the less we resist Jesus, the more we live life to the full. Well, how do we know if we're resisting or working with Jesus? We got to know who Jesus is. That's why we worship. That's why we study the Bible. And that's why we pray, right? These are practical ways that we can live life to the full, right? And the more we read the Bible, the more we pray, the more we worship, the more we work with God, the less we resist God, the more we live life to the full. I hope you guys are getting this down because this is important. And this is powerful. And this is how we can take steps to live life to the full. God, help me leave this place better. Help me leave my workplace better. Help me leave the classroom better. Help me leave better to be more like Jesus now in my everyday life. God, I choose that. I want that. Give that to me. 2014 at the Academy Awards uh, out in Hollywood, of course, the Academy Award, the gold statue, the Oscar, is uh, the, the ultimate achievement for an actor and actress to receive one of those. Right, so 2014, Matthew McConaughey, Southern actor, won Best Actor, won the award for Best Actor. He beat out people like Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, he beat out Christian Bale, like all these other you know, powerful actors. He won Best Actor. I want to show you an excerpt from uh, his acceptance speech. And I want you to think about it through the lens of what we've been talking about, through the lens of justification, through sanctification, through come as you are, leave better. And I think that Matthew McConaughey and you and I in the Bible are actually speaking the same language. Check this out. All right, all right, all right. I love what he said. He looks up to God and he chases the future, right? He chases himself. My hero is who I am in 10 years, right? And he didn't use the words of sanctification, of, of getting better, of becoming more holy, but that's what he's talking about. I, I want to be a better person 10 years from now. Right? So I want to ask you today, who is God calling you to be 10 years from today? Who's God calling you to be 10 days from today? Who's God calling you to be 10 minutes from today? Who's God calling you to be 10 seconds from today? And that, that pursuit starts right now. It, it starts to say, I choose Jesus. And instead of ourselves being the hero, I would say that our hero is supposed to be Jesus. God, how can I be like Jesus 10 years from now? How can I be like Jesus 10 days from now? How can I be like Jesus 10 minutes from now? God, how can I be more like Jesus 10 seconds from now? God, come into my life. Bring the Holy Spirit. Sanctify me. Help me be more like you, God, because that's what living life to the full looks like. I want to be like you, Jesus. I think that is so 
incredibly powerful. And I think it happens in everyday life. I was playing backyard football with my boys yesterday and some of the other kids in the neighborhood. And it does my heart good that we're a destination for that. And we're playing football and, and I'm on the winning team at the, at the moment. We're trying to be Tom Brady and, you know, the New England Patriots and, and the other team's losing. And, and the kids on the other side, they begin to fight with each other and they start, you know, bringing each other down saying, stop throwing interceptions. Well, you should start getting open. And they're just ripping each other apart. And then one of my teammates, a fifth grader, says to him, guys, stop. You know what you're doing? You're just mad because you're losing and you're turning on each other. He's like, you're teammates. You shouldn't be bringing each other down. You should be encouraging each other. You should be lifting each other up. And that would have been a beautiful thing if the only grown-up who is an ordained pastor would have had the wisdom to say that out loud, right? But it was a fifth-grade little boy named Isaiah, right? He's living life to the full. He's preaching. He hasn't been to seminary. He hasn't been to college. But he knows how people, how we can tear each other down instead of lifting each other up, right? Being like Jesus, the ultimate encourager, man, we just, we go about it the wrong way. We're living life that's not to the full. And this fifth grader sees what it's like. Jesus, how can I be more like you now? When we walked off that field, every one of us was closer to Jesus because of this young boy, fifth grade named Isaiah. Are we living life to the full, brothers and sisters? Or what if we started living life to the full? What, what if we started doing that in our lives? I think two things are going to happen that are going to they're going to take a huge weight off of your soul. The first is we can forget about being perfect. We can let go of the idea that we have to be perfect because we want to be like Jesus. We can never be Jesus. He's the only perfect human who will ever live, right? So that takes the pressure off. I know I messed up, but you know what? God loves me. God forgives me. I'm a work in progress. I'm getting better. I'm moving forward. I don't have to be perfect, but I'm taking a step forward. It takes the pressure of being perfect off of us that we put on ourselves all the time. Right? And I think another thing that it does is that, is that it, it, it teaches us that we're never going to be stuck in life. How many of us are here today and we feel like we're stuck? We're in a rut. We can never get better. Things can never improve for us. We're at a dead end. We're at a, a brick wall. But what sanctification teaches us, what the Holy Spirit teaches us is that there's we're never stuck. There's always a next step. There's always a step to take closer to Jesus. And so if we're feeling locked in or hemmed in or stuck, we can, we can say, you know what? The good news is we're not because Jesus has something better for us in store. And we can take a step closer to Jesus. So brothers and sisters, are you ready to forget about the pressure of being perfect? Are you ready to, to get unstuck? Are you ready to be justified and give your life to Christ? Are you ready to invite the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, sanctify me? Are you ready to worship? Are you ready to read your Bible? Are you ready to, to pray to God? Are you ready to ask those questions? Where did I resist God today? Where did I work with God today? And those are real ways we can take a step to living life to the full to say, God, make me like you. Help me take one step. And even if you just remember these two examples today, to learn from that lady in my first church who just quit living life. She chose, no, I don't want to move forward. I want to be stuck. And not only did she die, but she brought her whole family down. That's not living life to the full. Don't make that same mistake. Choose to live life to the full. Choose to pursue sanctification. Maybe you just want to emulate fifth grade Isaiah said, stop picking
encouraging each other. Start encouraging each other, right? Start living like Jesus. Be less like this woman who surrendered, right? And be more like Isaiah who said, I am ready to live life to the full. Brothers and sisters, life to the full is all about transformation. God meets us where we are. He helps us become something more, right? So come as you are and leave better. Come as you are and leave better in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response to God.